And this Go. ball in the air, deep right center Go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by StravaCraft Copy. You got to remember to use that promo code DNVR20 because when you do, you'll get 20% off that incredibly rich CBD infused and potentially life altering StravaCraft Coffee. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. If you're here with us live, I promise you I was not traded to the Yankees over the weekend. Just a just a quick uptick in the in the look. Of course, I'm joined always by our guy Patrick Lyons, beat writer here at DNVR. And we have got a lot to discuss. I want to dive deep into a conversation I've wanted to have for a while, something, Patrick, that I think we can do actually throughout this offseason, maybe about once a week. We'll, we'll talk about this more. Always good to have a production meeting at the beginning of your podcast. That really, really brings people in. Um, but where we take a look back at some seasons throughout Rockies history, some of them just because they're really freaking interesting, and some of them maybe we can learn some things from. And... The one that gave me the idea for this, the one we're going to start with today, please don't run away, please don't run away, is 2014. Huh? Huh? Not 2007 or 2009, 1995. It was pretty cool. You know, 2010, they didn't end up going to the postseason, but maybe re-examining what happened there. And look, we can. there's time to get into all that, and we probably should. Uh, But you'll understand why I want to talk so much about 2014 when we get to it in just a few minutes. Yes, I know they only won 66 games that year, but hang with us because I think you're really going to find that conversation fascinating. Before we do get there, though, Patrick, there is still baseball being played out there in the world since last we spoke. A bit of shocking news for me, at the very least. Uh, You know, both of us had them damn Yankees moving on, but as it turned out, and I knew it always given the Rays a bit more credit than I was giving them uh, to, to win this series and to win that series, I should say, because that series is now over. The Rays have not only left the Yankees in their wake, they're already up one to nothing in their series against the Astros. And they're up, as we're recording this right now, three to one in the bottom of the sixth in game two. How about your Tampa Bay Rays? Depth. It was really all about depth for Tampa Bay. And you saw it in, in game two where the Yankees kind of, you know, I don't know, playing the PR game a little bit and saying, no, well, we, the plan was for Davey Garcia to go out and see what we could get out of him. And really it was just to get the lineup to put as many left-handed batters in there for Tampa. Davey Garcia went one inning and then they flipped it in J.A. Happ. So they, they used an opener 
of course, they didn't really want to admit they had to stoop to that level. Uh, but again, they were facing the team that had created and invented the opener in the Tampa Bay Rays. So kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so was that was perfect. that was a, a key, you know, element for um, for for this series, and and you ended up seeing Tampa actually winning game two and game three for that exact reason for that, that lack of lack of depth and, and Garrett Cole only doing so much, but you know, you say what you will about the ability to draft and trade. And I'm, I actually have a, an article coming out this week about how the Astros and the Rays, you know, were able to put together their, their respective rosters in, in two totally different ways. And one of the most unlikely of heroes and the unlikeliest of ways of, of getting a postseason hero was Mike Brousseau, the the guy who hit the home run there in the eighth against uh, Aroldis Chapman, the, the the most feared closer in all of baseball, and the Except dude was in the postseason now. Dude was undrafted <laughs> in, in 2016, undrafted. Yeah. You know, we're yeah. talking over a thousand people uh, selected. You know, we Rockies have their own guy in Josh Fuentes. So for Brousseau to to be able to to go out and and do what he did, especially getting revenge against Chapman, who had thrown at his head uh, only a month prior was it's fantastic it's it's a great story that whole whole raised team is just so deep from top to bottom and that that i think is going to be the difference of why they uh they will go ahead and and defeat houston somewhat handily but man can't count those astros out just yet Uh, if 2020 could be a little bit kind and a little less cruel (laughs) from your lips to the ears of whoever's running all this show Let's go Rays. Come on. Uh, and, 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 and now that we're, if we're talking about the Astros and I'm only going to say this cause it just popped into my head. Is it me or does the, the, Oh shoot. I, I don't know what it's called. The little COVID ball, the germ ball of COVID. Doesn't oh, it, yeah. doesn't it look like an asterisk? I mean, what's more Houston Astros. It, it does look like in an this asterisk, pandemic. Yeah. If you think about it in a weird random way, not sure if I'm the first one who's ever said such a thing, but. I know I've heard it before. To me, you're the first. So it could be parallel thinking, as as they say in stand up comedy. But man, how it's it's almost ironic, I guess, that that those things should happen in the same same time. So hopefully, the Rays can be America's team once and for all and take down those dirty, stinking Houston asterisks. That that would be super neat. On the other side, of course, we're getting ready for Game One: Braves Dodgers. Uh, kicking off uh, this evening at 8.08, sure, uh, <laughs> fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we've talked a little bit about this series. I don't know if you have too much more to add. I've sort of taken the Braves as a dark horse. I think the Dodgers are the better team. I think they'll win the series if things play out normally. I think there's a chance here that the added pressure on them, the added expectations on them, th- there's a chance that the Braves uh, also feeling slighted by the fact that Nobody seems to ever recognize how good they are. Uh, I could see all of that creating the perfect mix for an upset, but it would it would be that it would be an upset. Yeah, precisely right. I, I think their their starting pitching is just a little bit too young um, than what they would like. It's one of the reasons they went out and signed Cole Hamels um, is is for that that postseason experience that he has. So you know Max Fried's done a fantastic job this year. He's no spring chicken, but you know Ian Anderson and and Kyle Wright are, are two really young guys that you know it's going to be hard to to have success against such an incredibly veteran Dodgers team. And and anyone who's not a veteran is. Uh, is a rookie and is a worthy 
2020 NL Rookie of the Year candidate on that yeah. Dodgers team. It's yeah. it's fantastic. We were, I think it would be an upset, but I mean, Atlanta Astros that would be a little disappointment. But any other combination that you've got, I think it, it has the makings for you know another fantastic October. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I'm rooting for Braves Rays. Um, if it comes down to Astros Dodgers, it's hard to deny the the drama of that. I don't want to see the Astros get the chance to play for the World Series, uh, you know, a piece of metal and stuff. But like, uh, <laughs> okay, let's see what happens next. It's still, it's been a very entertaining playoff. There's uh, and like you said, there've been great stories, like extraordinary individual performances out there. You love to see stuff like that. Didn't happen in the World Series. So it's not quite Christian Cologne, uh, you know, or mm. who, who are some of the other, I was going to say, who, who are the other names we can pull guys who are like the, 29th man on the roster who came through with the biggest hit of the season for their team. Like, oh, you you've got uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Cabrera there for the the original uh, Atlanta uh, club there in '92 singling right. and uh, with Sid Bream coming around to score. Right. You know, Bucky Dent. Uh, it was a decent shortstop, but certainly didn't have the power that he was able to show in Boston. Right there in in, in game 162 uh, at, at Fenway Park. You know, Aaron Boone did it uh, in a big spot. With right. The bases well loaded. Past his prime. Well, yeah, I'm just rough here. And, and Johnson did it for, for Tampa right. in, right. was it 2012? That crazy, um, you know, final day of the season where, uh, you know, this team loses and this team wins, but this team also loses. Uh, that was a real wild one. And I, I, I don't even think Tampa made the playoffs that year. I think it was, he ended up, having a big game against Boston and it prevented them from getting into the playoffs. So uh, yeah, just that, that's why we play. That's why we play the games. And, and you know what, to go back to what you're saying, if it's, if it's Houston and LA, you go, well, all right, LA has to win this one, but if they don't and the Astros win again and they defeat the Dodgers, it's going to be like, is who's the commissioner, Rob Manfred or Vince McMahon? Yeah. 45. Straight. Because <laughs> because it's like you don't. That's obviously not going to happen. You've got oh, you come up with this elaborate elaborate King of the Ring type tournament, right? And you go, all right, well, the Astros. Oh, interesting story. Well, they're still alive. Oh, they're still alive. Well, they don't deserve to be there. Oh, and they're going against the team that they screwed over already. Obviously, you know who's going to win it. Swerve Astros are the twenty twenty champs, and you go Vince. Oh, I mean Manfred. <laughs> come on. Uh. A Manfred all screw job? Man, eh, doesn't quite work. Doesn't mm-hmm. quite work. <laughs> oh, nice. I, like, I see what you did. Yeah, like it was, it. Uh, it, there was there was a direction, but <laughs> execution uh, C minus. Uh, all right, that does get us to, and I've got to now crack open my Breck brew here. Oh, now that we're getting into the real meat of things here, because if you got meat on the bone in conversation, you got to pair some strawberry sky with it. Love getting the strawberry sky. Over to King Supers, any liquor store, you're going to be able to find it, whether you're getting a six-pack or that 15-can sampler pack. Not No, no 12-can stuff. We'll go 15 cans around here in the Breck House. Also, you can get this delicious beer down at the DNVR Bar on tap. It is absolutely delicious. Come check it out down there. But, of course, the best place to get it, is down at the farmhouse. You call 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m. You use that promo code DNVR because you save five bucks 
off of both the food and the beer, whether you're doing that curbside pickup or you're going to go sit in their socially distanced and really, quite frankly, very beautiful outside dining. Check out our friends at Breck Brew because you know they make delicious beer. So if you haven't had a chance to try the wings that they perfectly make to pair with it, they'll know exactly what beer goes with exactly what food. You get that five bucks off, not a terrible way to spend an afternoon or evening of your time. I'll tell you that much. Mm. Mm. Delicious. That strawberry skies. I hadn't had one of those in a while. I've been mostly on that avalanche amber over the summer. Uh, always go in and out on the hot peak IPA because just sometimes you're in the mood for an IPA. When you want an IPA, you grab an IPA. That IPA drinkers know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, the vanilla porter is a little more seasonal of a thing, but the Palisade peach, I've just been pounding the Palisade peach as of late. It's basically a gift from the gods. So it's been a little while since I've had the strawberry sky and just took a couple sips. Man, that's so delicious. All right. Mixing and it it's, up. It's, it's a perfect pair for the conversation. I'm, I'm Maybe I'm the only person Is in it? the world to, to just be super excited to talk about the 2014 Colorado Rockies right now. Patrick, but I am, and it, it, let me, let me give you the origin story of of what happened here, because it also allows me to plug an article that I'm working on. (laughs) Uh, I've had this debate with a number of people throughout the years. Most recently, again, Manny Rondawa, a couple of weeks, probably now a month or so ago about a, a very broad philosophy about how the Colorado Rockies should build either more through pitching or more through hitting. And you can get into the weeds about like, whether or not you have to prioritize those things, maybe it should be more through balance. That, that's all a part of the conversation, right? And so in looking through this, I said, well, instead of me just relying on my history of having watched the team, my general instinct, and the numbers that I have looked at, why don't I put together a complete data set of what the Rockies have done throughout their history? Who were their best offensive teams? Who are their worst offensive teams? And how has that translated to success or not? Maybe we'll learn some stuff. Maybe we won't. One of the first things I learned, Patrick, was that according to the OPS Plus stat, which we know has a lot of shortcomings when you're measuring Rockies against other players, but still, according to the OPS Plus stat, the Colorado Rockies have only had an above-average offense Twice and and actually really an above average offense once and one other time they've had an exactly average offense at 100 and the one time that they were over 100 at a whopping 102 team OPS plus so arguably the best offense in team history at least according to the best analytics that are publicly available. And they won 66 games. <laughs> not good. <laughs> not not good at all. Uh, definitely, again, when when you broached the subject, I said, um, Drew, how many strawberry skies have you had uh, tonight? Because uh, I, I don't know that anybody wants to hear about the 2014 Colorado Rockies, certainly not the 2014 Colorado Rockies, who all do subscribe to the DNVR Rockies podcast. Spoiler, you know, just let you know. Sorry to, to drop names there. Um, but, yeah, it is an interesting topic. But then when you started to kind of explain why and some of the ins and outs, it, it became a little more clear that, you know, 
you know, if you if you don't understand history, you are doomed to repeat it. And yeah. I think, you know, every all human beings, all organizations, franchises, anything you want to you want to you want to put it to, you know, you just have to go back and examine and look and say, well, what could I have done better then, or what could I be doing better now? And I think, you know, this this conversation will definitely, I think, illuminate some of that for Colorado in, in 2014. What seemed like a relatively lost year, the first year without Todd Helton, and you know, the the first year of what was to potentially be the the one and only era of Troy Tulowitzki. You didn't have to share the spotlight at all. It was all about him. Um, that era was more like a season and a half. Uh, but nevertheless, 2014 was uh, an interesting time for Rockies fans. Yeah. It, when you look at it on hindsight, it really is the end of a couple of eras and the beginning of the current one that we're in. Like you talked about, Todd Helton had retired after the 2013 season just the year before, and Troy Tulowitzki would be gone by the deadline next year. Also, right after this 2014 campaign that we're about to dive deeper into was when Dan O'Dowd fired himself from being the Colorado Rockies GM and Jeff Breidich stepped into that role, right? So this really is a, a big time for the Colorado Rockies in, in terms of why they are where they are today. And so uh, we'll throw up a few highlights for those of you joining us on the live. Remember, 4.05, Monday through Fridays. Uh, Wednesday, we're also on YouTube, but the rest of the days, just check us out on Facebook and Periscope. Uh, but Patrick, let, let's dive into the good news stuff, the good stuff that happened first before we, we, we get into the obvious reason why this team was so terrible. But we mentioned that it was the, the best offense in team history by – OPS plus. And one of the major reasons was Troy Tulowitzki. He led that charge with an OPS plus of 170, which Ooh. is the second highest mark in franchise history after Larry Walker's 1997 MVP caliber, well, MVP winning season. Um, and it might have been the only time in history where a Colorado Rocky would have led the league in an adjusted statistic in OPS plus and WRC plus, if not for the fact that Tulowitzki only played 91 games that season, which takes us to the one gigantic thing that happened to this team that wasn't that their pitching was terrible, and they, which was that they sustained a, a massive amount of injuries that, that really railed them. Um, but still, Tulo that season, just a wax for a moment, with the 340 batting average, 432 on base, 603 slugging. He hit 21 home runs in 91 games. <laughs> and he also played gold glove caliber shortstop. I remember that's the year I wrote the article that, and before he got hurt on a game to game basis, and it was true, Troy Tulowitzki was the best player in all of baseball, more than Mike Trout. He was accumulating more war per game. Than Trout. The problem was he couldn't stay on the field. Yeah, it's interesting that even only with those 91 games, as you mentioned, he still got some MVP votes. He finished 25th that year. So again, way in the back of the pack, but still, you know, obviously folks were were watching what he was doing there. And he, yeah, he, as you said, he, he wasn't the only one who who was banged up. You you go and look at that final roster, and it was a real, real hodgepodge of guys in the in the first year of the rooftop. 
you know, they finally had, uh, yeah. had, had uh, deconstructed, I guess, uh, if you will, those seats out in right field and, and the rooftop was born. I mean, it probably feels just like it was yesterday, especially if you've been going to games at Coors Field for, you know, the entirety of your life. It, it, it hasn't been there that long. So that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's interesting that that was, that was the start of that. And, and Tulo, you know, age 29. So he was still right there, you know, very much in his, his prime. And, you know, we, we, we know what ended up happening with, with his trade and, and you see the hall of players uh, that came in return, but, you know, a, a healthier Tulowitzki in 2014 brings back even more. Uh, and some people are saying, well, you have to have something in order to have more of it. Well, right. okay, fair, fine. But again, all things, you know, being equal, you know, a healthy Tulowitzki, you know, really, I think, you know, changes what they get back from Toronto or another team and, and really could, you know, you know, shift the, the, the balance of, of what ended up happening. Uh, with with the Rockies franchise, maybe it speeds up their timeline to to making uh, the postseason in 2016 a little sooner. Yeah, it's it one of the reasons to go back and look at these stuff is I, I think I've even said you know retroactively they probably should have traded Tulo sooner than they did. But when you right. look at something like this, you realize that wasn't really an option. One, he was the best player in all of baseball at the time, and two, he was hurt, and so you really couldn't get you know, the value for him, you couldn't like literally at the time, it was just like, there, there's nothing you can do. And it's hard to make the argument. They should have traded him two years before they did. So they were in a, they're in a little bit of a tough spot there. Uh, but of course, anyone who lived through it knows that Troy Tulowitzki's injuries were always a big part of that era and limiting the ultimate success of those teams. Here's another interesting uh, sort of misnomer, I think from that era which is that we talked about this a moment ago. Well, Todd Helton retired, and the Colorado Rockies have just never been able ever since to come up with an answer at first base. Not technically true. Not even technically. I, I just take that away. Yeah, take yeah that you're away. right. You're right. Just not true, at least to begin with, right, uh, these first couple of years, because Justin Morneau, who stepped right into that spot at the age of 33, in addition to being – uh, an exceptional defender at first base. Uh, I ended up dubbing that first uh, that that entire infield, by the way, the Coors Shield. That mm -hmm. infield from left to right: Nolan Arenado, Troy Tulowitzki, DJ LeMahieu, Justin Morneau. Those guys could pick it, and they could hit. Morneau was the third best hitter on that team with an OPS plus of 125, smacked 17 home runs in 135 games played, but hit 319 uh, on base 364. You know, he, he was more, he was better than the production they had gotten out of Todd Helton the couple of years prior. Yeah, he, he was fantastic. And again, not to, to, to harp on, on one point, but when he, when he made the all-star team that year, it was, it became very evident, especially when you saw that this team, you know, wasn't really going to be in contention that, Man, I know you signed him on a two-year deal, and and so you just got him. He's he's your he's your new present, essentially. But you know what? What could you possibly turn around and get for a guy who's almost you know signaling his his return back? You know, a former MVP had some concussion issues, and boom, turns around and does this, and you go, man, here's a real opportunity to sure you know, you you not to say you shoot yourself in the foot, but you know you're 
you're you're not robbing Peter to pay Paul either. That's not a great analogy. You're you're saying, look, we 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 brought this guy in because we thought we he would help the team enough to get us in the postseason. I don't I don't think you should be making moves to just make moves. So you're saying, hey, look, if everything goes right with all these different pieces, we go to the postseason, and and this is great. Uh, well, if you're not going to the postseason, those moves that you made at any point or at, with anyone on the team and on the roster, you can turn around and say, well, let's make a trade so that we get ahead of next year and we don't start looking on the uh, free agent market in the offseason. And now we're doing battle with the Dodgers and the Giants who had money at that time galore and the Yankees and Red Sox, all that. You say, look, hey, we're at the trade deadline. We're not battling with anybody because we've got the best shortstop in the game in Troy Tulowitzki. So you know what? Everyone's going to be bringing us their best offer, and and the Yankees can't swoop in and make a better deal. They can't. That that that's the beauty of of making trades, especially at the deadline like this. Same thing uh, for Justin Morneau, where they could have done that and, and brought a lot back. But yeah, no no technicalities at all. Justin Morneau was a dude for them in 2014 in a real major way. Right. And as, as we're going to see here, the big problem with that was that despite the fact that the Colorado Rockies just could not pitch that season, they were a 500. In fact, they were a plus 500 team uh, pretty deep into the year. And it wasn't until they sustained a rash full of injuries that they fell completely off the map and just plummeted in the second half. So, again, it's almost like, man, if, if even if those injuries had occurred earlier, maybe they would have been able to pull a, a uh, the de- the lever on a trade for somebody like Justin Morneau, who you're not going to get top dollar for at 33 years old and, and with the injury history that he had. I remember some of the deals that were kind of floated at the time and they were okay, um, but they, they probably could have gotten something out of him. Somebody that they did get something out of, who they did trade at peak value after having a couple of great years was somebody that I skipped over there because he was the second best hitter on that team. You may recall Mr. Corey Dickerson. Boy, did he rake that year. His 141 OPS plus, really one of the stronger numbers. Like Nolan Arenado has never reached a 140 OPS plus at any point in his career. And so, again, according to these numbers, Corey Dickerson was a better hitter in 2014 than Nolan Arenado has ever been in any single season. And that, and he was the second best hitter on that team, uh, and they also still had Morneau there at 125, which is basically Arenado and Blackman. Typically, now Arenado is like a 132 at his best, uh, 125 for his career. And so, when you got that kind of production out of Dickerson, we all know he had his defensive issues out there and left. Really, one of only two defensive liabilities on that team, but. Uh, yeah, just uh, they could have pulled the trigger quicker. That's the thing, if because they they dealt him after 2015 rather than 2014, and so he took a dip in 15. And man, again, that deal worked out great. So, so I was gonna say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not oh, exactly right. They, they won that deal so hard. I'm not gonna nitpick. On absolutely, that. absolutely. And, and again, it does it it does like kind of maybe touch on something of like trading when when stock it you know is is high. It still was very high, you know, because he. Um, was just coming out of his first season, was just barely missed, um, you know, prospect eligibility, or rather rookie of the year um, votes. Uh, he had like 218, I think, played appearances that season, uh, the previous year in 2013. So, no. you know, could have been a rookie of the year candidate. So still had plenty of years of control on that. 
Um, but you know, the Rockies were, were really great to identify that and going back to Morneau, like you said, um, you know, I know at the time, I think Seattle was one of those teams that was really interested yes. Seattle and Miami, uh, at the time were really interested in Morneau and some of the prospects at that time that were kind of floated around went from, you know, really good to, well, they were okay at a time. And that, uh, that goes from James Paxton, Nathan Yavaldi. Henderson Alvarez. So get any of those guys. We're never going to get Paxton. Right. Right. And, and you know, any of those guys probably would have been, would have been been, positive for the roster. But, you know, we understand that, that a lot of what the Rockies do and and what Dick Monfort does for better or worse is, you know, look at the whole picture and and maybe he shouldn't. And, And that's, Again, that that'll be part of, of what my article is this week, and that's part of what we're talking about this whole offseason. Like, what's the direction you take? Because there's a direction you take where they are really bad and they are not fun to watch, and you don't know who's on the field from day to day. But they will be better tomorrow. And give Dick Monfort all the credit in the world because he's never run a team out there uh, at Mile High or Coors Field that you really weren't excited to see. You had you always had a lineup that was exciting. Well, and, and that's the thing. That's why I wanted to jump into this, because it would be so easy to look at a year where they only won 66 games and the pitching was just terrible and just assume, man, they were awful. There's nothing really to talk about. But look at all of this talent. Look at how great that infield was. Look at some of the players they had who were emerging on this team. So we ran through. There were your top three hitters, Tulowitzki, Dickerson, and Justin Morneau. At number four, you've got uh, an emerging Second year in the league, Nolan Arenado putting up a, a 115 OPS plus and winning a gold glove at third base as well, you know. And to have Nolan Arenado as your fourth best offensive player. Now, I get he wasn't quite who he was about to become. and His slash line that year wasn't ridiculously impressive, though we were starting to see uh, the pop when he hit 18 home runs. Uh, he slugged 500. As you that was know, the last time he was hurt. That was really the last time he really missed any significant time because and that's yeah. Only played 111 games since then. Uh, before this past season, 155 or more games. I mean, that's about as reliable as you can get. Right. And and if I'm recalling this correctly, and we can maybe even look it up on the the game logs. First of all, I think he he broke his hand sliding into second base in Atlanta. And ended up missing like 60, some 68 games, something like that. Um, and it occurred within a week of two other major injuries sustained by Troy Tulowitzki and Carlos Gonzalez. And the team at the time had like gone into that stretch. And I think they were like three games above 500. You know, maybe are you find anything or I'm, I'm thinking June, July. Uh, it's, it's around in there. They were deep enough into the season and they were hanging in their offense was keeping that team alive. And, you know, the idea was maybe some of these guys who pitched well in 2013 will finally show up in 2014. Cause again, we'll get into the pitching in just a minute. They just weren't getting that. But when Nolan went down that season ended, uh, and a few, when Nolan Tulo and cargo all went down, like, your offense can no longer carry your terrible pitching. Yeah, it looks like that was about the end of May, around maybe May 23rd. 
And then okay. uh, they, they, the then I remembered, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he missed all of June, as you said. Uh, yeah. They did win on May 24th to bring them to 27 and 23. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and, and when they lost their, their prodigy young third baseman. And the funny thing was that that injury was not treated like that at the time because right. people didn't know who Nolan Arenado would become. So the fact that they lost their second year, third baseman for the season can't make excuses. It's always about injuries with these Rockies. It's always making an excuse about the injury. Like, you cannot deny, especially in hindsight that too low for only 91 games, uh, Arenado missing those 68 games. And I'll go ahead and get into that. I was going to leave this toward the end of the conversation, but the other major factor on offense that drug them down that year was it was by far the worst year in the career of Carlos Gonzalez, who I think only played 70 games. I'm trying to find him now. I've got this sorted in a weird way, so he's not on my list. I'll, I'll bring him back up. Um, but actually, I remember talking 70. to people off, off the record. He played 70 games that year, put up an 88-ish OPS plus, uh, and was just um, – he actually spent most of that season uh, sleeping on hospital room floors – uh, wait, waiting for news uh, about his um, about a complication in a pregnancy and a childbirth, and uh, he spent much of that season injured as well, but also clearly not 100% focused on baseball. And that's just one of those life things that happens. And when you when you step away from all of that and look in hindsight, like the fact that Carlos Gonzalez happened to have by far his least productive season as a member of the Colorado Rockies. And they still had their best offensive season ever as a team is another stat that just it just kind of blows your mind. Like the ironies there are, are abound. Yeah, and and on that day on, on May twenty fourth, uh, with that win against Atlanta, they went to twenty seven and twenty three, as I said, which was a game better than the Dodgers at that point, second place in the NL West and uh, in 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 the spot for the the second wild card their fifth best record so i mean again it's it's kind of a typical rocky story where they start off the season playing well you know flashes of greatness here and there of course uh with that potential oh man this young guy nolan arenado oh carlos gonzalez is an all-star uh, exciting player troy tulowitzki again one of the best shortstops in the game and it 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 falls apart probably worse than any other season. Oh, we got this reclamation For project sure. at first base. Justin Moore. No, he's even better than the last guy who's going to the Hall of Fame. Holy crap. Wow. They've got this new bar out in right field. It's great. It's called the rooftop. It's crazy. There was so much energy, dude. There was so much. There was that there was that potential, you know, right there, going right into to Labor Day. Uh summer is about to be upon us. Kids are out from school. 2014 uh definitely had a lot of those elements where you go, okay, all right, they're they, they've rebounded after, you know, 2009. They kind of had to to rejigger things a little bit and figure it out. They're starting to figure out, and they've got a lot of really quality young players. But as you know, we're we're kind of going to touch on, much like with the Tampa Bay Rays, who have depth and have had depth for a while, and they will for a few years. Colorado did not have the depth that year in 2014 to sustain significant injuries to their star future star third baseman, their star shortstop, 
uh, as well as Carlos Gonzalez. Depth, but they, they, they didn't have the pitching depth. Because no. as we look through here, they actually had more offensive depth than probably the most offensive depth they've had in a decade, probably more than any other team other than 2007. Um, it, it's kind of amazing to me. Now, some of these numbers, I think, again, are lying to us a little bit. The, the, time to talk about the fifth best hitter on that team very briefly. But, Patrick, if you would have a week ago offered me money to get a correct true-false question about a recent thing that – actually about something I covered, <laughs> that I was there in person to cover. And if you would have said – you remember Drew Stubbs was a member of the Colorado Rockies, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. You would have said, okay, true or false – he had a season as a member of the Rockies where he was an above-average offensive player. I said, false, give me my money. I'd have been wrong, 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 at least according to these stats. In 2014, center fielder Drew Stubbs, who could run and field. That guy, no question about any of that stuff. A 114 OPS plus. Basically, he was as good as Nolan Arenado. He hit 289, slugged 482. He slapped 15 home runs. He did strike out 136 times, which you all, all knew. And, and remember that he started out the next season. Remember this. He started out the next season striking out in his first 17 at-bats. Or I don't know if it was his first, but at one point he struck out in 17 consecutive at-bats, um, which is why in my brain, Drew Stubbs was a terrible offensive player for the Rockies. But that first year, hit a decent number of home runs. He slugged. He provided uh, you know, he he was there. He was a solid bit. He's exactly the kind of player that the current Rockies don't have. A 115 OPS plus WRC plus guy who can slap a decent number of home runs and play some good defense. And it's funny that, you know, but, but I do think also part of his profile shows us what you can't have in that guy, which is somebody who strikes out 136 times at Coors Field. I also think his on-base percentage is a little bit inflated and that's pulling up his OPS plus because he took a bunch of walks out of the eight hole right in front of the pitcher, which thanks dude. <laughs> yeah. He, I, I remember thinking that trade was just a little bit weird, especially how they were using him for, I think like the first half of the season where he basically was like a left-handed, you know, uh, pitching specialist. Like he, he crushed lefties, but was way too overexposed. It's, it's why, uh, you know, Cincinnati didn't, didn't really care for him anymore. Uh, Rockies <laughs> right. gave up Josh Outman, which, uh, is a guy that's kind of near and dear to my heart. It might seem crazy because you know in 2006 he was a member uh, of the Phillies organization, won uh, the South Atlantic League championship. Uh, that I, I was there for that in 2006, so he was part of uh, a big triumvirate of starting pitchers. Can't remember the third guy. But the other one was future uh, Cleveland starter Carlos Carrasco. So they they were a nice three headed monster. But yeah, I just I just remember him just mashing left handed. Hitting. And if it wasn't for the fact, like you said, of his defensive abilities, I would have thought, well, you know what? The Rockies, in a way, do have a guy like that. His name is Ian Desmond. But again, of course, you threw in that defensive part and yeah. you go, yeah, okay. You know, Drew Stubbs actually contributed, you know, a lot more in that season. I, I think he had, didn't he have a big walk off grand slam or something like that? Yeah, I'm remembering one of the, yeah, he had a couple of big moments. Uh, yeah. And he played the piano. Uh <laughs> I enjoyed I enjoyed Drew Stubbs very br brief time in, in Colorado but yeah I mean the guy was an extraordinary athlete he and when he would run into one he would really really knock that thing out so yeah I think he had a couple of walk-offs actually but um 
the next season he would be absolutely awful and would be off the roster uh, pretty quickly. Uh, then the last member of the team who was an above average offensive player was uh, still young and emerging Charlie Blackman with a 103 OPS plus. So again, when your sixth best hitter is a young Charlie Blackman, who's about to become Charlie Blackman, you're in a pretty good spot. You know, he's putting together great at bats. That was the year uh, that he hit like a 400 in April. And it was really weird sequencing. He, he really cooled off after that. So that's part of the reason why they were, uh, you know, above 500 there early. Uh, but going into that season, Charlie Blackman was maybe considered like a fourth, fifth outfielder type of guy. And he basically became a starter this year. Again, this is a transition era year. It's we're moving away from the Helton Tulo era and into the Arenado Blackman era. But looking at these numbers, you wouldn't necessarily think that that's the case. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll just pair this because because I want your thoughts on both of these, Patrick. There, there are two other guys we do have to talk about, but the worst regular starter on this team. Again, the irony of this is absolutely amazing to me. The worst regular starter on the 2014 Colorado Rockies with the bat. DJ LeMahieu. Again, young in his career, I think just his second year in the bigs, put up an OPS plus of 75. Now, he did hit 267, which is not great. And at Coors Field, you, you could say really isn't worth much. He didn't slug at all. Um, obviously played fantastic defense at second base. But um, it, it is kind of funny to look back. And, and I actually very – going through these numbers just sent me to a place in time, and I remember the arguments about – whether or not DJ LeMahieu was ever going to be anything in the big leagues. There was a guy, no, I'll tell the story. He's not listening and he's, I don't think he's involved in rock. There, there was a guy who would come to a lot of these um, blogger panels we would do at the time. And he insisted every single time on comparing DJ LeMahieu to Darwin Barney. DJ LeMahieu is Darwin Barney. That is the ceiling of his career. That's all he's going to be. The 75 OPS plus he's only a batting average guy. He's going to be bad, but it's really interesting to look at this team that, again, the best offense in Colorado Rockies history, and it had Charlie Blackman and DJ LeMahieu and Carlos Gonzalez on it. And Blackman was slightly above average. LeMahieu and Cargo drug this offense down. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's strange when you when you put it in context and all those things because that was actually, as you said, you know, Blackman's first year uh, as an All Star. You know, played great in the first half, but, you know, was 27 years old and was really, you know, battling for a role on the team because, you know, had, had, <laughs> yeah, it played 27, 42, and 82 games the previous three seasons. So right. this was almost a make or break year. This was this was like what Ryan Maltapia was dealing with last year where, you know, there's, there's a, a world and a realm in which Charlie Blackman – doesn't become Chuck nasty. Um, and, and if he does, it's not with the Colorado Rockies. So, you know, he, he did, did well to, to kind of win an award there. And yet LeMahieu, you know, he wasn't lighting it up, uh, just yet offensively, you know, strikeout numbers were up, maybe kind of a, a sign of things to come that the hard uh, contact was, was about to step up, but he won a little gold himself, uh, as a gold glove member, which really speaks to his defensive abilities besides the fact he's six foot four. But that, again, when he was, at least at that time, in a lot of ways, he was hitting like Darwin Barney. But defensively, you know, again, those that, that vote on it were able to see, like, wow, this kid can really pick it over there at second base. And, 
and and with Tulowitzki by his side, I mean that was a that was a formidable six four three four six three double play combination. So, you know, hats off to for Lemayhu for what he was he's always been able to do defensively at second base, but how he was able to step up his game from there for sure. Um, and then the last part about the offense before we move on to you know the problem uh, is. Kind of what Patrick was getting at there, the depth. One of the things I've noticed going over the years is that a lot of times the Rockies, it's not just the last couple of years where the Rockies have had top-heavy offenses. That seems to be pretty common where you'll see, you know, four or five, or in this case, what do we say, six guys over 100. And then nobody in the 90s, a bunch of dudes in the 80s and 70s and stuff. And that lack of guys in the 90s is something I, I, I want to look into more and more as, as we do this in the offseason. But this year, they had a couple. In fact, their catcher. Imagine a world in where the Colorado Rockies catcher is just a solid hitter. Willeen Rosario, we know he couldn't catch, but he put up a 93 OPS plus that year. He hit 13 home runs. He slugged 435. That is, you know, a, that would be a career year for any of the catchers currently on the Colorado Rockies at the dish. Um, so again, you see, and, and Josh Rutledge with a very similar season at shortstop. Remember good old Foxy. Anybody, anybody remember Foxy? That that's a deep cut reference. Remember hit me up. If you remember when Josh Rutledge got the nickname Foxy, but uh, 91 with his OPS plus at uh, having to fill in for Tulo. So obviously that's a massive drop off from the 170 that you were getting, but still it's not like, you know, he was an, an absolute disaster. And the Rockies were also able to get decent production that year out of Michael Dyer until he got hurt. He was putting up a 148 OPS plus uh, their backup catcher, Michael McHenry put up a 138 OPS plus in 57 games. Uh, Rafael Anoa, who had to step in for a bunch of the, middle infield duties as guys were getting killed out there uh hit 343 in limited 19 games but that's 122 on the ops plus so uh i remember ben paulson um his name is ben paulson is ben paulson in 31 games put up a 138 ops plus so they had offensive depth now certainly there was a huge drop off between Tulo and and Rutledge. That's a, that's a tough case to ask Josh Rutledge to step in there. But um, yeah, Patrick, you can you can see why this offense. This, not only do I buy, e even with all of the other things, you know, the complications of OPS plus, that this was the best Rockies offense of all time. Uh, I see that it very easily could have been quite a bit better with a normal season from Cargo. Uh, and just some of these injuries, not crushing dudes. Uh, but the, that depth there is something they've just not had basically since 2014 in terms of their offense. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, they, they did have depth, but I, I think, you know, bigger than any of it was their superstars played like superstars and they got immense growth from their young players. I think that was a huge piece. Charlie Culberson was another guy that, you know, again, unfortunately he, he had to play a little third base. He's, he's in the outfield. He's all God, over the place. Handsome. You know, negative, negative. <laughs> <laughs> they, they looked good in purple for sure. But yeah. you know, he was negative, you know, 1.5 war. So again, you running him out there, you're, you're, you're taking wins, uh, you know, uh, 
off the uh, the ledger there and right. standing. So that was that was real hard. But yeah, the the stars were stars, and and the backups who you know for their careers they were slouches, but they had really good 2014 seasons. And it's it's interesting to think that you know one thing our our, our buddy Manny Rendawa kind of. Uh, likes to to say, and I think there's some truth to it. Is is you know the Blake Street Bombers, you know, talked a lot about <laughs> the fact that they knew that their pitching was was bad, but they didn't care because it was like, look, again, if you can throw, you know, I want to say five innings, but back then in the early in the mid '90s, it was you know it was you had to throw at least six innings, but six innings and you give up five runs, that's great, that's fine, and we know the bullpen's going to give up five runs but you know what we're going to score six runs in the eighth and whatever the difference is in the ninth and they were right and they were able to you know they only made one playoff appearance using that strategy in 95 but it's like maybe maybe you could do that maybe you could win games doing that um but it's it's interesting like you said you you look at how great uh in some ways the metrics were for this 2014 rockies team yet that being said Win loss record, it was one of the worst. So even even if they were that much better, even if Chula was a little bit healthier and Cargo, you know, just had maybe an average season and Kadire didn't miss time and Arenado doesn't go out with the wrist injury, with this pitching staff being as bad as it was, how are you getting you know twenty five more wins out of this team at least just for just for that uptick in offense? I, I just don't know that that can happen. I don't know that you can really out hit teams anymore in, in this day and age if the pitching is as bad as it was in 2014 i mean even if the pitching had been a little bit better like you said and, and I, I think that's what the numbers are showing us and you know i i would i would never patrick i would simply never slander the blake street bombers on this podcast that is not what we do here and that is not what i am about however <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> Um, I have been regularly accused, including a number of times on this podcast, of dismissing the best of advanced analytics when I call them into question. And I don't dismiss the advanced analytics. And if we're going to be consistent in not dismissing the advanced analytics, uh, the notion that the teams of the 90s that the Blake Street Bombers were a team carried by their offense. Uh, There is very little evidence to suggest that that is the case outside of, and this is a tease for another season that we'll get into the one great exception, which may be the answer to your question. 1996. We'll jump into that maybe another time, but I think again, I'm giving a little bit away. Hopefully everyone will still come and check the article. I think the answer to your question is, how good can the Colorado Rockies be if they're carried by their offense? About 83 wins. So I think that team, if Tulo stays healthy, Nolan stays healthy, cargo, normal cargo, uh, maybe even get a little bit of DJ earlier. You know, we, we, can, right. we can do a couple of things moving around. With how terrible their pitching was, they're probably right. an 83-win team. I think that's about the ceiling that the Colorado Rockies can reach when their offense carries them. So let's get into the other side of it. We talked about the, Oh, go ahead. And with, and, we'll, and with what you're saying, cause you, you said something about saying it is that those Rockies teams in the mid nineties weren't as bad as you might remember them to be like the pitching was 
a little bit better than that. Like people forget that Marvin Freeman was actually the first guy to get Cy Young Award votes. Like he was the first. Plus the best single season in Colorado Rockies pitching history in their very first year for Marvin Freeman. And yeah, I was actually, myself was surprised those early years, how many times they managed to be plus 500. Barely, but still 95. That team was a pitching first team, believe it or not. They were, but getting back here now to this one, we talked about the wacky stick boys, the boys with their wacky sticks and boy, did those 2014 boys wacky stick the ball around. If you want to do some wacky stick, but you can't do the baseball best way to do it is with WGT golf digitally. You get it totally for free at dnvrgolf.com. You can join DNVR three clubhouse. We've had so many people having fun and enjoying this thing. We've had to create a bunch of different clubhouses, but don't worry. We will invite you to be a part of the community. You can come talk some trash, challenge anybody here in the community, including us on staff to play closest to the hole or full stroke play on world famous golf courses, including Pebble beach, Beth page, black St. Andrews, and more. Again, it's all totally free. It's a top golf experience. So, those of you that are super into golf, if you want to get like into it, into it, you can do that. If you just want something fun to play, and again, little tap the button, little wacky stick, uh, again, free on your computer, on your phone at dnvrgolf.com. The official sponsor of DNVR Gaming, WGT Golf. Tell them Drew and Patrick sent you, and enjoy your time out there on the virtual links. All right, Patrick, we've we've delayed the inevitable for as long as possible. Let's talk about what in the hell went wrong, which is, of course, that the 2014 Colorado Rockies could not pitch. They could not pitch in the slightest. They had two starting pitchers who were, according to ERA plus, above average and only just barely. And again, if I quizzed hardcore Rockies fans from that era to name me the two pitchers, I bet they could name one. They would, they would name one, and what's ironic about that is that the one they would name, probably the best pitcher in Rockies history, by, by volume at least, Jorge De La Rosa, with his 104 ERA+, plus, one of the worst seasons of his Colorado Rockies career, but he was right there along with the other one, Patrick, and, and I, I, had, I had remembered that he had a season that was good, but... Tyler Matzik. Good timing. Yeah. Good timing. Yeah. We're, we're talking about that. One thing uh, I, I learned that you'll, you'll dig about Tyler Matzik is that on Atlanta, uh, for some reason, his teammates have begun to call him death star. Now, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know if they've even seen the end of how uh, things go for the See, death star. I know what happens to the death star every time. <laughs> Nevertheless, that is a badass Nickname. So Tyler Matzik, if you're rooting for Atlanta and you just, you can't yeah. force yourself to, to, to pull for the Dodgers, which I guess you can, uh, in this series, you can move for the death star. I, and I, and, and so I shall good sir. And so I shall, but that was it. Jorge De La Rosa and Tyler Matzik were barely above average for the Colorado Rockies. Jordan Lyles managed to be just right around league average with a 98 ERA plus uh, the actual ERA of 433 over 126 innings pitched. Nobody 
in the Rockies community thinks back on Jordan Lyles as like, oh yeah, he was really solid for a, for a time there. But at least for that season, you could argue he was, he was solid. But when that's your third best pitcher, um, again, as I've been peering over these numbers, you can't go anywhere. The Colorado Rockies, if you only have two pitchers who are above average, have never made the postseason. I think only one time they've done that and they've managed to finish over 500. Again, again, spoilers, I think it was 96 because Ellis Burks and Dante Bichette and stuff. But, like, you only have two starting pitchers who are above league average. You don't. And I think, and I think Dan O'Dowd and the Rockies knew that, which is precisely why they, in that offseason, dealt Dexter Fowler for Jordan Lyles. They said, we've got an abundance of offense. If everything lines up, man, no one is going to want to face us even if we're not getting a lot of offensive production out of our second baseman uh, or, you know, if our, our catcher can run into one, you know, any day of the week, that's for sure. But you know what? We've got plenty of offense. So let's go ahead and, and, and deal a guy who we have a, a still a few more years of control on Dexter Fowler and let's bring in an arm like Jordan Lyles. And then they also get Brendan Barnes in that deal. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was uh, yeah. also like an 80. He was pretty good. He was pretty good. 14 off the bench. Defender. Yeah, he was he was equal to cargo offensively uh, again ac- according to the numbers and and he was a good defender. Uh, I think that might have been the year too. He hit a, a walk off inside the park home run. There were, there was that season where the Giants had hit a walk off inside the park home run the year before, and then the Rockies got him back with one. So I can't remember the exact sequence now in my head, but I know Brandon Barnes hit a walk off inside the park home run in San Francisco, and it was super fun and awesome and amazing. And that guy played with the energy of a football player, and he gave a bang fantastic interview i loved talking to brandon barnes so i'm glad we were able to to give him a, a quick shout out one of the things that was super super frustrating about this pitching performance patrick is that when you look at the year before maybe we will or won't dive into 2013 we'll see if it it makes our our list but they had three pitchers who pitched uh three starting pitchers who were not just above league average but were who by any measure Excellent. In fact, in one of the very first big articles I ever wrote while covering the Colorado Rockies, I dubbed this three-headed monster Jolis de la Chatwood. Because in 2013, Jolis Chassin, Jorge de la Rosa, and Tyler Chatwood were phenomenal. De la Rosa put up a 128 ERA plus, Chassin with a 129, Tyler Chatwood with a 142 and all three of those pitchers were still on the Rockies in 2014. Now Chatwood got hurt. I'd have Tommy John surgery. So again, injuries playing a role in 2014, but Jolie Chassin was just terrible. Uh, where, where'd that number go? I lost his number. Where was, Oh, a 79. ERA again couldn't even manage to be like in the 90s be like hang on so you've got De La Rosa and Matzik barely being league average and then your third and then Jordan Lyles like we talked about being slightly below and then the next best guy Shasin that you're trying to throw out there all the time and Franklin Morales remember that name the other that's a vestige from 2004 those were the two guys who you're expecting to pick up your fourth rotation spot and also a 79. So you're looking at um, black holes in your rotation, absolute disasters. 
Yeah, the, the Chatwood injury was probably the, the biggest one. Again, another great trade acquisition that was made uh, by O'Dowd in the front office there um, to bolster that starting staff. And yeah, every, you know, again, everything didn't go right with the offense from the aspect of staying healthy. You know, statistically, okay, yeah, they did. But offensive, or rather health-wise, they did not go go right. Um, pitching staff was was exactly that. Everything ended up falling apart. I mean, Matzik, you know, again, he's, he's still trying to develop himself in his career. So you're like, all right, well, he, he took a step forward, I guess. Um, it was a nice silver lining at the time. Like, oh, he might be a right. thing. Because, again, in hindsight, if you go, okay, you get that same production out of Jolice de la Chatwood in 2014 that you got in 2013. And then you add a league average Tyler Matzik and a 98 or just below Jordan Lyles as your number five guy. That's a great rotation. But as you pointed out, Patrick, no depth. And, you know, you can't count on everyone to have that, that, that Chatwood year. You know, it's a career year. But we know, and this is what's super frustrating to me, Chassin and De La Rosa would go on to have much better years after this. Um, so th that they were just terrible in 2014 is, is also a bit perplexing, something that maybe even might be worth a bit more research as to why De La Rosa and Chassin in particular were so bad. And it's wild. Um, you know, I know we were talking about 2013, but the staff was, was pretty solid in, in 2015. And, and it was partially because they added Chris Russin, the young Chad Bettis, Eddie Butler. And you go, Oh man, Again, things seem like they're on the the upswing. They've they've got some dudes that are are showing it in flashes. And again, if you can get those two sides to line up, where the offense is supporting the starting pitching, like in '95, like in 2007, 2009, all those years they've gone to the playoffs. It's because both sides of the ball are doing exactly what they need to do, and and you just can't have one side doing it all. It, it's just, it's, it's impossible. I, I think, I think that was a lot of the, the problem with the 2019 teams was that even when the pitching was okay, the offense wasn't coming through when it needed to, or even when the offense was, you know, doing well for that day, the pitching would let them down, particularly in, in the bullpen with, with three guys who uh, will no longer be named, but uh, you, <laughs> yeah, you, you just, just stop saying their names. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so if, if you don't like uh, calling those three guys, the super bullpen, we could just call them Voldemort. So, you know, what? <laughs> that's uh, that might be uh, the new way to, to describe that $106 million snafu. snafu. You know, in, inside of this data, we'll get to it, but I, I think we've got to slightly alter the way we talk about the, the Super Bullpen snafu as well because um, the they paid $106 million and got X-War is a little bit, a little bit misleading. And we'll get to that when we talk about some of these more recent years. That'll, that'll be fun. But, Patrick, I, you know, I, I think you're 100% right. I do think the numbers are showing that, you know, if, you, if you're going to lean one way, it's got to be toward the pitching. But the numbers are also showing us that you can't be terrible in one element of the game and so good in another element of the game that you're just completely able to overcome it. And people who think that that's what they did in 2018 and 2017, not quite. That's, that's probably actually the closest they've ever come to being just totally carried 
by their pitching. And we'll dive into all of that stuff lately. But I think one of the things we've discussed uh, that we've discovered here and 2014 is the best example of it is that maybe the Colorado Rockies can be a successful team that is an offense first team or a team that's carried more by their offense, but they haven't been at no point in their 28 year history have the Colorado Rockies ever been able to be offense first or have the offense be the best or most important part of their team and have it lead to anything more than 83 wins. And the best offense in team history was saddled with 66 wins. Yeah, it was quite strange, you know, looking at all the numbers and, and if you are a big proponent, because it was also their worst pitching season ever. That's the other thing we should say at the end of the conversation. It was their best offense ever, but by ERA plus now just barely, but it was their worst pitching season ever. Take that Rockies face. The universe laughs in your face. And if you ran into the nearest ones place, you might say, well, okay. The, the 93 team was, was technically right around in that ballpark. We're talking about an expansion team. Yeah, like that's yeah. how bad is like basically, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pr- protect yeah. the, you know, the, the best uh, 400 players across baseball and whoever's left over, go ahead and throw them out there. That was essentially what Rockies fans uh, were saddled with having to see in, in 2014. But, you know, when we looked at, at, at those numbers, the, the, the strangest thing is if you are a big proponent of OPS plus and ERA plus, you would look at the data and say the Rockies, the Colorado Rockies of Denver, a mile high city of Coors Field and mile high stadium have long been a pitching team. Pitching first. Pitching has always been better than the offense. And if that's not a clue like ending, uh, if that's not a, you know, who's, who did it, who done it. Pitching has been, the way of the Colorado Rockies. It, it really is. Yeah. I don't it, know what will <laughs> we, and, and that's what we're going to continue to dive into. And we'll look at the counter examples and, and, and all of the evidence, but Patrick, you're hundred percent right. It is really bizarre. And it's part of the reason why we're engaging in this conversation, because you know that that is not how most people think of or feel about the Rockies. It may not be how you think of or feel about the Rockies. In fact, it may not even be how the Rockies feel about the Rockies. It's entirely possible that they have been erroneously convinced over the years that their offense is better than it is or misunderstood that their pitching might have been better than it was and that that might have been something to lean into a little bit more. And so we all become a little bit better when we understand these things a little bit deeper. We'll keep diving into the data. We appreciate you all hanging out through this one. Again, I hope you found all of that just as fascinating as I did. When I was jumping into these numbers, I was like, dude, I covered that team and I was so inside of it. And I remember being there at the end of the year and talking to a really disgruntled Tulo and remembering how lost they felt the season was and, and, and thinking that it was a team that was completely let down. That's another thing you can say. While no one part of your team can carry you to success, at least if you're the Rockies. One part of your team can absolutely sink you. If you're terrible on offense, if you're terrible at starting, and we didn't get into even the relief pitching either, and it was bad that year as well. 
We'll get into other years where the relief pitching was their absolute undoing, though. This year, you know, the starting pitching is so bad, the bullpen didn't kill you. You can't hand them the lead. <laughs> like you can't, your, your starting pitchers have to be decent. But there have been years where the Rockies bullpen has been their undoing. And you know what? 2020 wasn't one of them. <laughs> you can't drive a car on three wheels. Can't do it. Simple as that. Straight up. Hang out with us over the rest of this offseason. We're going to have a whole lot of fun, though it's not technically the offseason yet. Keep with us for the end of actual baseball as we continue to discuss those games as well. We'll continue to dive deep into these issues. Let us know how you'd like us to prioritize. If there's any season, again, I've got a few others in mind I really want to talk about, but if there's one you really, really want us to talk about, let us know. Hit us up at Patrick D. Lyons, at Drew Creaseman, at DNVR underscore Rockies. You got to subscribe to the DNVR.com so that you can get all of that written content. The article that I'm working on now about how the Colorado Rockies balance this problem with a lot of this data that will be provided to you in easy-to-read charts and all that stuff. You got to be subscribed to the DNVR.com if you want to get all of that information. And the article that Patrick's working on about how the Astros and Rays have built their teams and the way you can do it differently, but maybe the Colorado Rockies aren't and should look to learn a few lessons from these other places. Again, you got to be a member. Plus, you get discounts on hats, shirts, masks. You get a bigger beer when you come on down to the DNVR bar. Lots of great reasons to sign up for that subscription right now. Plus, we're getting pretty close. I know it's around the corner, but starting to get toward that holiday time, you can start thinking about buying stuff for your friends and family if their DNVR subscriptions are running out or you feel like they need to get themselves one. Other than that, we only ever ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome out there. We will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.